I'm John Amato. I taught history and government civics at Harvard Westlake School for approximately 38 years. Oh, that's it? <laughs> now, I have a co-conspirator in this activity, Jazzy Marine. Hi, everyone. I'm Jazzy Marine. Although I didn't have Mr. Amato for civics in the seventh grade, shout out to Mr. Newhart, I am a former student, and all these years later, I needed a refresher course on how the government works. I assumed I wasn't the only one, so Mr. Amato and I teamed up to bring you our podcast. Welcome to Civic Sense. Let's tell the people what the podcast is all about. At Civic Sense, we're unraveling the intricacies of government and civic life without judgment. We're taking you back to school and making it fun. We want Civic Sense to be a refresher course. Yeah, an instruction manual for engaging responsibly in American life, especially as we gear up for somehow yet another presidential election this year. Civic knowledge is more important than ever. If it's been a minute since you touched a social studies textbook, civics is the study of government and the rights and responsibilities of citizens. And it matters because, well, if you know how our political system functions, we're more inclined to participate in it. Democracy is at its best when its citizens are in the know. And take it from this lifelong educator. Civic engagement helps create a sense of community, encourages people to work together for the common good, and ideally build a society where diverse perspectives are appreciated. Leaders can be held accountable and change is possible. How great does that sound? <laughs> Sounds pretty great to me. So it's our inaugural episode today. We're going to start our journey at the Revolutionary War. That was in the 1700s. How does that have to do with civics today? Well, we weren't a united country yet. We were a confederation of states. This was before the Constitution. Now, a little disclaimer about our class schedule. The first few episodes are going to be a little more American history focused. We want to give you all of the context for why our country is set up the way it is today. Once we're up to speed, the pod will be more focused on today's current government structure. That's when we'll dive into more specific topics that are in our news cycle today, like how the heck is the president of the United States elected? So bear with us, let's begin class. Chapter one, the 13 colonies, the Declaration of Independence and the American Revolution. Today we're gonna to talk about a very short comment on the Revolutionary War. We won it. We did? <laughs> we did, and we did a fairly decent job in that we were not long-time experienced at fighting battles. Well, yeah, especially com in comparison to the British Redcoats, colonists were definitely new to this kind of battle. Throughout the 1600s and early 1700s, England was busy fighting wars. So in turn, the British paid less attention to the colonists, and the colonists pretty much governed themselves. So this was new and different. So the Revolutionary War began in 1775 and ended in 1783. Now, I come from a part of the country where the war began, in Lexington and Concord, Lexington being the first battle of the Revolutionary War, which when you think about how war has changed what it is today and what it was then, the Redcoats marching down Massachusetts Avenue 
coming into Lexington. They're beautifully dressed, great hats, not helmets, but hats. And the rebels, also known as the revolutionaries, patriots, those were the colonists who opposed the British monarchy. They hid behind trees. Oh my goodness, that's unfair. They hid behind rocks and they shot at the Redcoats. And the Redcoats knelt down to shoot. Well, interestingly enough, the first line of Redcoats went down. And then the next line, wow, what do you think? They went down too. <laughs> okay, that was that battle. Then they went on to Concord and they did more of that. But all the rebels, all the colonials were excited because they thought they had beat the British. Now, while all of this was going on, we also had to get away from Great Britain in a very legal way. What do you mean by that? When you start talking about that, you had to alert the world that we were going to be independent from Great Britain. And so a document was conceived, written, and essentially presented to the world. And that was the Declaration of Independence. July 4th, 1776. So it sounds like, based off the date, weren't we still in the Revolutionary War during the Declaration of Independence? We were. We're fighting Great Britain with ultimately the goal of breaking away. But that was still up for debate because there were loyalists and there were colonials, revolutionaries. Oh, so at the start of the Revolutionary War, not everyone in the colonies were ready to separate from the British crown. But by the time of the Declaration of Independence, they were. History would say that there was enough positive spirit, force, direction that we knew we could be successful. But we didn't want to be controlled by a tyrant. Now, that word was used a lot at the time. King George III was called a tyrant. The colonists were super anti-tyrant a leader who abuses power. And we had to tell the world about this. And so we did. This was one of the few things that the 13 colonies absolutely agreed with. Now, you had the French, who had a military, and they lived above us in Canada. You had the Spanish, who were below us. We could have been a target for at least those two nations. So we had to make this document essentially say, we are going to be independent. We're not going to have Great Britain, and we weren't going to be taken over by anybody else. Got it. So the Declaration of Independence is signed, but we still have six more years of war. What now? And so the war lasted until 1783, when in Yorktown, Cornwallis, the British commander, was defeated, and we were a separate nation. So that's the war. Now the question is, what are you going to do? We're in charge. Chapter 2. The Articles of Confederation Before We Became the United States of America. You had 13 colonies who were now in need of defense, who were now in need of peace, who were now in need of government. And that doesn't happen unless you pay taxes. And you can imagine somebody from the South not wanting to pay taxes to defend Maine against maybe a French attack up in the north. So this became a problem, but we had to figure out a government. You had to make a plan. And we thought, okay, every state should be independent. 
It's a good idea. States are states. They live in different parts of the country. They have different weather. They have different climates. They grow different things. They work differently. So they should be independent. But how independent? So the founding fathers came up with this idea of a confederation. Native Americans used this idea. The various nations work together across tribes. Okay, got it. So inspired by the separate tribes, the colonies still have completely separate governments. So they quickly write up the Articles of Confederation in 1777. To be honest, the dates of events we're discussing sound a little confusing because there was a lot of overlap. Like the Declaration of Independence, we enacted the Articles of Confederation before the war even ended. What exactly did the Articles establish? The Articles allowed the colonists to get a sense that they were in fact a government. They were in fact a separate country. They created a unicameral legislature, a single body legislature. Each state had one vote in Congress. That meant there were 13 votes. And it required unanimous approval from nine of the 13 congressional votes to get anything done, which kind of foreshadows how hard it is for supermajority is to get anything done. And so the articles at least gave the founding fathers and all those who believed in the articles a beginning, a start. The colonists did what they did. We know this because they didn't like the king. They didn't want to be ruled by one person. They didn't want to be ruled and have no ability to govern themselves. So they really feared having a strong leader, you say? Exactly. And they wanted representation. We don't like paying taxes. Nobody likes paying taxes. But at least give us a say in how these taxes are spent. We do the same thing today. We don't love taxes. But if we're going to pay taxes, sometimes exorbitantly, we'd like a say in it. Chapter 3. Navigating the flawed confederation from states' rights to a centralized government. This was back in the 1700s. We had a confederation then, but we don't have one today. So why is that? Okay, so the confederation was a good start, but it lacked some things. It had flaws in it. The national government was at the mercy of the state governments. You can actually think about, in today's world, states' rights. States' rights from the beginning of our country until now is a very important aspect. Sometimes it gets in the way, sometimes it doesn't. The Confederation lacked the power to do the simple things like keep track of the military, spend money on the military, actually establish a, a, a currency. There's no national currency? All of the states just had their own money system? Yeah, they did. That's a disaster. <laughs> well, let's think about that. Europe, for years, had multiple currencies. And then they went to the euro. Now, the euro has sparked difficulty in Europe, but at least it's a consistent manner of exchange. Because we were ruled by the states, essentially, we had economic turmoil almost all the time. Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, West Virginia. Everybody had their own way of doing things. Well, that doesn't always work. So this confederation of states isn't the United States just yet because every state is doing its own thing. Exactly. 
And that was the reason that the Founding Fathers kept going, kept going back to Congresses, Continental Congresses, to get the system simplified. And what is the Continental Congress? Well, the Articles of Confederation still had a Congress, still had a legislature. And so that was the government at the time. Okay, got it. So the Founding Fathers continued to meet at these Continental Congresses so they could try and make the system of government more effective. Exactly. So for the time being, we decided, okay, let's have, let's just have one house, let's just have representatives there, and they can make these decisions. But it was one member per state. That's a problem. So this is something we had to figure out in the next iteration of government in the United States. What's going to be the effective way to govern? So now what? <laughs> you had the Shays Rebellion that really was a rebellion against taxes. Oh, that's familiar. <laughs> that's why we took off from Mother England. So we didn't solve that problem. The question was, how were we going to make it better in this new environment so that we could operate an effective government? So the articles didn't work well. They were at beginning. They gave us a step up on how we were going to govern ourselves. But there were a lot of questions that needed to be answered. And that's why the Founding Fathers kept going back to Continental Congresses to try to make these decisions and come to some agreement on how we were going to next proceed. So going back a second, would you say Shays' Rebellion was kind of the nail in the coffin for the Articles? Like, the Articles of Confederation weren't going to stay the law of the land after that. It, it certainly was one of the nails in that it proved yet again that it's one thing to pay taxes, and okay, we'll deal with taxes, but was it going to be fair? Who was going to bear the brunt? And th this was a rebellion that occurred not too far away from Lexington and Concord. Where you just told us that's where the war began. Where we began. <laughs> Very full circle moment there. So would you say the government under the Articles was more of a transitional government? I, I, I think you have to call it that. Uh -huh. I, mean, I really do think in most people's minds, they just wanted to get going with this new idea. But that's, that's hard. I mean, was, was everybody satisfied? Did we solve all the problems about being our own country? Not even close. Not, not even close. What American values or principles would you say were reflected in the articles? Number one, freedom from the mother country. The great ability to move forward. We had to give everybody rights. That was part of the plan. Did it work out that way? No, not yet. Maybe not ever. But freedom, sovereignty, and the ability to continue to grow and develop. Chapter four, what we learned today. So we learned about the Revolutionary War today. We learned about the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation. We're still in the 1700s. When are we gonna get to 2024? <laughs> Jazz, Jazzy, that took a long time, but we'll get there. Unfortunately, there are parts of the American history that we should skip over. If only we could. <laughs> if only we could. Yeah, true. So before we get ahead of ourselves, 
What should we expect on next week's episode of Civic Sense? The next conversation that we have really revolves around the development of the Constitution, how that was different from the articles, why it was different, and to allow us to have a leader that we call president. And it's something that the Constitution had to help solve. Well, that wraps up our first episode of Civic Sense. If you liked the show, make sure you subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Stay out of trouble. Civic Sense is a production with HW Media. Production support comes from Jen Bladen, Zoe Gore, Nathan Wang, and Michael Sugarman. Podcast art is by Maya Ragazzo, and our theme music is by Alex Bloom and Kevin Farzad. It is hosted and produced by John Amato and Jazzy Marine. Mm-hmm.